0: Welcome to Beating the Debt Game podcast. The stakes are high and the scales are heavily tipped against us. The debt and credit system is set up to make the banks rich and keep Canadians poor. We want to help change that through this podcast series, and we believe when armed with the right knowledge, listeners can reverse this trend, understand and leverage various financial scenarios to serve their own interest and improve their own financial well-being instead of making the banks richer. We want everyone to beat the debt game and win back control of their financial future. Hi everyone and welcome to uh, our second podcast. It's selling assets to pay off debt. Is this a smart move or financial suicide? In today's podcast, we want to address a commonly asked question. Should I sell my assets to pay down debt? Now on the face of it, it seems very logical to sell an investment that's earning 3% interest to pay down debt accruing at 20% interest. It can not only save thousands of dollars, but it can significantly increase cash flow. However, as always, what we want to do is dig a bit deeper into this and challenge the common approach on this topic and discuss why selling assets or cashing out investments to pay down debt can actually set you back years and years and cost thousands of dollars in the long run. As always, I'm here with my two colleagues, David Moffat and Ryan Brown, to get their thoughts on the topic. So let's get started, boys. So the first question for you guys is, and you see this every day with the people you help, you know, they're the facing this dilemma. What are the advantages to sell assets to pay down debt?
1: I'll let you start, Ryan. You go
0: to town. Well,
2: thanks, Dave. Um... <laughs> I started last time. I was hoping you would start. <laughs>
1: um, this isn't the way this works. I'm the producer, remember?
2: Yeah, that's right. There, there are, of course, there are advantages, right? And you touched on it there, Paul, with uh, increasing cash flow and uh, getting out of debt years sooner. There are certainly uh, advantages there, especially when you're looking at high interest debt, uh, interest only debt, actually, that can be quite dangerous. People get sucked into that and pay in a line of credit for years and years and years. Um, or credit cards that uh, you know we all know. As we, the last podcast was the rule of seventy-two and how it can work against you. And we know that a credit card at twenty percent interest or nineteen nine, uh, the debt doubles in three point six years. That's huge, right?
0: So, uh, well, we certainly how- compared to how quickly the asset is going to double if it's if it is an investment at three percent too.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, as far as the advantages to specifically address your question uh get rid of the debt and improve cash flow that is the number
1: one advantage
0: dave what yeah absolutely yeah
1: absolutely i mean it's it's it first of all you don't have to go through potentially at least a more invasive restructuring method which which might in, impact your credit um I, I guess the main advantage is is this concept of a of a guaranteed return, and, and I'll explain that a little bit more. Uh, we talked about not being technical, but here we are. <laughs> uh, essentially, uh, if you have a debt that that you are paying twenty percent interest on, or an investment that's earning, you know, in the example, three percent interest, well, if you pay off that debt, um, it's almost like you are earning twenty percent interest because you are not paying it if that, if that makes sense. Right. Um, so that's, that that I think is the biggest advantage that, that can be seen. And I know we're trying to segment because a a lot of these advantages also have corresponding cons to them when you, when you're struggling with debt. Um, but in my opinion, those are the two biggest ones, not impacting credit, being able to retain and, and maintain that, that credit rating and potentially even improve it depending on your situation. Um, and be able to have that guaranteed return.
0: Totally. So, you know, what, what, I've certainly seen and, and heard of is, is there are some of the the significant pitfalls in that approach. And, you know, as we said, we want to challenge the norm and, and give another side to, to the viewpoint. Now, certainly from, from the past, we've seen a lot of people who will sell their investments, sell some of the, their assets and partially pay down the debt. The credit facilities are left open and six months time, they're back in the same position they've they haven't changed any type of spending habits and they've lost their asset because they've sold it to pay off the debt but the credit facilities have remained open and they've racked the debt back up again so you know what you, do you do do you guys see that
1: uh, all the time right and, and and you see people come into the office and you ask them you know what end up happening and and they explained what they, they describe a story of exactly what you just explained, right? And and, and in, in my opinion, and I know we'll get a little bit more in detail in this, somebody should really only be selling assets to pay down debt if they can already get out of debt in a reasonable amount of time. And in my opinion, a reasonable amount of time is three to five years excluding mortgages, right? Um, any time that, that you're outside of that window, it becomes really, uh, I guess, not too big of an advantage, right? Because it will take you simply too long to, excuse me, it will take you too long to reaccumulate all of that, those assets.
0: And in my mind, that time period should be shortened. If, if you're looking at selling assets to pay off debt, I mean, it should almost be instantaneous. Close the credit cards and live, you know, try and live with, within the means of, of the income. And if, you know, if that's a problem, then looking at more evasive debt restructuring options and preserving the asset is potentially a better solution going forward.
1: Right? Absolutely. If you can't solve the whole problem then it's not even worth tr- trying to solve it. I know that that sounds really bad, right? But you need to have a plan that solves everything in my yeah. opinion, not just, you know, a band-aid solution.
2: It doesn't it doesn't sound bad when you know what you know, Dave, right? I mean, the, the general consumer would not understand why that's a bad idea, let me just sell an asset and pay off some of my debt. Well, yeah, but you know let's look at the whole picture and the longer term plan. you know as far as um having you know meeting with clients who have sold assets, paid off debt, racked debt back up, and they're in your office. I actually see that a lot with my senior clients um because their income has been limited, they might still be carrying a mortgage. Uh, some surprise expenses might come up. And so that, you know, after they've liquidated some assets, which potentially has caused greater financial hardship because they don't have those assets feeding them even 100 or 200 extra dollars per month, right? Whatever that might might be that they cash out. Um, They then rack the debt back up and they're actually in a worse financial position because their cash flow is further constrained from the liquidation of an asset that was producing uh, an income for them. Uh, and now they have the debt again so it's even worse
0: and i think it's really emotionally draining for them too right i mean the, the these are assets that they've they've worked and worked hard to to create and, and obtain and now they're, they're selling them off to to pay down credit card debt it's it's a real tough emotional situation to be in
1: for sure it is Ab- absolutely
2: By the time people get to the end of the rope and they give you a call, they've exhausted everything. And I've said it for years now that I just wish people would call sooner, you know, uh, get the fear out of the way and give us a call sooner because, you know, you could just be in a much better position going forward uh, if you just get at it right in the first place. But unfortunately, um, it's just the type of industry we are in people will try and try and try on their own. I think we said five yep. years is the average uh, consumers will try on their own for years before they finally reach out. And by then they've exhausted all options. They get to you and they've been through the ring cycle three times to- or uh, rent cycle, three times, spend cycle, three times, and they're just worn now.
0: And then, and I think sort of when the, when they're calling their investment advisor and and d- discussing the option or they're going into the bank and, Asking to, to cash out investments, I don't think enough questions are asked around the situation. And, and I think a lot of it could could be addressed at that stage if, if they got the same financial advice they get when creating the investment as they do to cash in the investment, which is currently what's, what's, what's lacked in in my opinion.
1: Yeah, it's it's it. You know, it's really interesting that that you talk about that because I I I, I believe there was a, a what is it a CBC Marketplace? Is that the name of the show? I yep. think so. I think they did a a a, um, a show <laughs> an episode on uh, on the advice people got when they had debt. Now, it was, it was surrounding a larger topic of investing and, and claims of investments and all this type of stuff, right? Uh, but it was interesting that you know they, they did this fictitious character that had debt and none of the traditional, quote unquote, financial advisors at the institutions, um, I think there was only one of them that actually gave any advice talking about paying off debt. Um, so you're right. I, I think when it comes to you know, withdrawing assets and the, and the repercussions and knowing what you can and can't do with it and all of this type of stuff just isn't spoken about at all. I think a lot of it comes down to, they just don't know too. Um, Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. And we all work with some great investment advisors and financial planners who really have taken the time to learn what we do and how we do it and the impact it has on our clients and how they come out on the other side, you know, just shining. And when clients come in and, and they say, Hey, I need to cash out some investments that that advisor, of course, they sit down, they ask the questions, why do you need to? And they, they look, they, take a bit of a deeper dive and they go, you know what, we're going to bring in, we're going to bring in Ryan on this or Dave or Paul or you know, someone from four pillars um, because they've seen the results and they say, hold on, there's a much better option here, but that's few and far between. I, I, I think a lot of advisors just kind of, go, Oh no, don't go down that route. No, that, that would be financial suicide. If you went down that restructuring route and which we know isn't the case.
0: Totally. And I think sort of from, from the questions we get as as we see our clients come out the other side of of you know a debt restructuring solution they've dealt with the debt they're now in a position to start looking at investing we don't give advice on that or you know we provide them a resource to obtain the correct advice that they need as we're not experts in that and as You know, the same approach should be taken with with a banker or a financial planner when people are coming in to consider cashing out their investments and and directing them to somebody who can take a different look at it and a different perspective on it.
1: And, you know, it actually really surprises me that this doesn't occur more often because if you you think about it, it's in everybody's best interest if the client, well, except for the banks at the end of the day, but it's in everybody's best interest to retain those assets, right? The client, obviously they, they, they'll retire more wealthy and with a higher net worth, the, the financial advisor will be able to retain that client and, and what actually makes them the money. Right. Um, and everybody wins. Right. So it surprises me more off. off, Oh my God. It surprises me that this advice isn't given more often.
0: So, what uh so what are the alternatives? That's a big question. Yeah. yeah. I think you know, I,
2: I do want to say one thing we haven't really defined is assets, right? And I, I guess one of the questions could be are some assets better to sell than others to pay down debt, you know, before we get into the alternatives. And totally. You know, I, yeah. And I, I I would say yes. Um for sure. Now we have to define what an asset is. Like here, here, I'll just, you know, uh, somebody has $10,000 worth of credit card debt, right? Like for us, you know, most people that have $10,000 worth of credit card debt, they, they, they don't call us. Um, They sort of hang on to it or they look for their own solutions. Now that's not to say, come on, we've all seen it. We've had clients in our office that are overwhelmed by $10,000 worth of credit card debt, but a lot of people will just take that and service it and maybe not pay it off for years. But if I had a, a, quad on a trailer, You know, used for five grand that I could sell and I could get a tax return and save some extra cash. Now, you know, I would consider that quad is an asset. It's not an investment, but you know, it's a free and clear asset. If I could sell that quad in the trailer and grab a tax return and save some cash for several months and pay off my ten thousand dollar credit card debt, hundred percent, do it. Uh, I mean, it's you know, you're looking at that, like we said, that ten thousand dollars worth of credit card debt in thirty, thirty six months or forty months is going to be. 20 grand, you know, if you, if you don't actually make payments. So the, the debt doubles. So yeah, there are times to look at sort of a hybrid approach and say, you know what, I've, I've got, you know, 20 grand in a TFSA. I should leave 15 there for a rainy day fund. Maybe I can pull out five. I know I'm getting a tax return in, in April for 2000 bucks and I can sell my quad. Boom. My debt's gone. I, I think do, take, t- going that route would be smart.
0: I think that's a really I, great point, Ryan. Around what is defined as an asset, because you know the, there are a lot of things that are sort of luxury items, shall we say, that that we've you know obtained possibly through the use of credit, purchasing you know on credit, those type of things that that could be liquidated without impacting your long-term financial future. And, you know, more of a more of a luxury item that that doesn't impact your life and isn't providing really any financial benefit to to your long term financial plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. agree. Yeah,
1: that that yeah, that that's that's interesting. And, and one thing that I think is key about your example, Ryan, is that the solution that you propose solved the entire problem right um not that i wouldn't recommend that somebody sells a quad and apply it against debt uh normally um but i've seen people forego restructuring that they probably needed because they think that they can go sell you know a four thousand dollar quad let's say to try to pay off twenty thousand dollars worth of debt well that just that math doesn't make sense right? right um so I, I I think that's the the key to it. But yeah, you know, d- defining an asset, right? I, and I like this approach of of differentiating between assets that that potentially can impact your life and 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 make your life better in the future. So you know, you think of a uh, of a house and investments and RSPs and TFSA's and all this type of thing versus assets that have value but don't actually impact your life. And you know, that might be a quad, an RV that's paid off. That might be, I don't know, a, a bicycle. A, Having a hard time coming up with examples, but anything except for you know uh, investments. Yeah, really.
0: more, they're more of a lifestyle type asset as opposed to your retirement account that is going to be needed to fund your income through retirement. But it makes a, it makes a
2: massive difference. Like you're talking about retirement and a 30 year old guy in my office, you know, may not want to get rid of his quad. We're talking about planting a seed today that becomes an oak tree down the road, right? The one degree change today, you know the old story, right? If you're gonna, if you're gonna walk a thousand miles and you have a destination and you're off by one degree, by the time you get just to the thousand mile marker, you're gonna be way off, right? You're not even gonna be close to your destination. So making small incremental changes now, little by little by little, really add up. It's worth it.
0: So absolutely. So as an alternative, then somebody has debt, they have assets. They come see you guys. What are the sort of things you're looking at to 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 give them advice on on what they should do in that situation? Go for it, Dave. Yeah. So,
1: so the first thing is we really have to figure out kind of an assessment of of their situation, right? So we have to understand really a full financial picture. So their income, what assets are they? What type of assets are they? Um, Is there any security against those assets? So are there any loans that are tied against those? And the most common one would be um, like a car, for example. A car um, may be an asset if the loan is is, uh, at a value less than the value of the vehicle, um, but it still has a loan secured against it. Um, And then you need to figure out what their debt load is and and then from there you're really going through uh, a series of options ranging from budgeting all the way to bankruptcy and everything in between and and helping them figure out which ones work. I I I hope that answers uh, at least a little bit of the question.
2: Yeah, I I think it starts us down the path for sure. Um yeah. You know, I I one of the things I like to look at too and I know you do this as well Dave is what does your cash flow look like? You touched you touched on this in the last uh episode. Um, again, the rule is seventy-two, and f- for the listeners, if you haven't checked out that podcast, go listen to it. I think it's a great podcast. Um, there's just some really good information in there. But you're looking at cash flow. You know, what can you afford? And you know, we have the debt snowball calculator. You've looked at that, and you say, okay, so you can pay a thousand. Right now, you're paying a thousand dollars a month towards your credit cards. Right? How much additional can you afford? Nothing, one hundred, two hundred dollars a month. And can you, can you consistently pay that extra two $300 a month on those cards? What if there's a financial hiccup? Will you reuse those cards or do you have an emergency fund set aside? Because when you look at a debt snowball calculator, if you actually don't have the extra cash flow, if you do not have the extra cash flow, you're not paying the debt down. People are allowed to borrow so much money these days that barring a windfall or an inheritance, they will never pay the debt off. So we really look at it that way and say, okay, what does your cash flow look like? Uh, how much, you not know, do a full-on budget, uh, right down to all the nitty-gritty little things, right? Uh, how many cars do you have? And therefore, you know, you're going to have to pay for uh, two, two uh, licenses for the year. Uh, how much do you pay in bank fees? Do you buy a fishing license every year? You know, I get really nitty-gritty with the budget. Find out if they have the cash flow and start with that and if they don't have the cash flow then we need to start looking at some of these alternatives
1: this is why you should go first Ryan because that was a great answer
0: <laughs> sorry man <laughs> so so i mean i think what what we're saying is if if cash flow is an issue if debt is becoming unmanageable and that's one of the main reasons that that they're looking to sell assets then then we need to see what type of asset it is and and as you mentioned earlier Dave you talked about sort of more extreme measures to to deal with the debt um but potentially preserve those assets at the same time what does that look like
1: yeah absolutely and and um Essentially, in every province, um, there are certain types of assets that if you go through more invasive types of restructuring, they don't even get really – obviously, they get accounted for, but they don't impact your ability to restructure um, debt. So to give a a very simple example – Sorry, Dave.
0: Just just, uh, for the listeners, when you talk about invasive options, you're talking about consumer proposals, Usually proposals and
1: bankruptcies. Got it. Correct. Thank you.
0: Yes, indeed. Um, and and so,
1: for example, right, um, RSPs, um, except for the amount of money you've deposited in the account in the last twelve months, okay, um, really doesn't matter. So, for example, I've had clients where they've had over two hundred thousand dollars in an RRSP, um, yet they had not contributed anything to that RSP in the last twelve months, um, and they were able to restructure their debt and retain that entire retirement account. Now they had a very sizable amount of debt. So even if they wanted to withdraw their money, they couldn't, um, or at least it wouldn't solve their problem. Um, but they get to they get to keep all of their retirement savings. Right. Um, so that's one example of of how you can retain uh, an asset and they ended up filing a consumer proposal.
2: Yeah I think it's there's a reason why the government has said, look, there are certain types of assets exempt in an insol in, a, in an insolvency proceeding,
1: right? We- and, and I just want to I just want to like t- t- touch on this really quickly, right? Because every time that uh, you know you, I talk about this, not necessarily with the person that's struggling with debt, not people in our industry, but with anybody else, they talk about how wow, that is horrendously wrong. People shouldn't be able to do that. They should be liquidating their retirement account. And and I think this is because we are so conditioned to think that the banks are like. You know, some biblical figure that we have to worship, right? Um, and and it gets really tough, right? Because you know, people ruin their lives trying to pay back credit that they can't pay back that they were lent, that they really shouldn't have been lent from the get go.
0: I yeah. think that's that's a great point that you guys make. That, as you said, Ryan, there is a reason these assets are exempt, and it's it's to help preserve certain assets that they desperately need going forward right now with the home equity exemptions, all of those type of things as a reason for it. And, but we still see the guilt associated with it. How can I go bankrupt or restructure my debt and keep my RSP? Right. It, the, the yeah. there is a, there is a lot of guilt associated with that. And, and as you said, Dave, I think it's, it's become human nature.
2: The you know, something, guys, here is that in order for banks to make money, they have to issue debt. And it's it's really the banker's job to sell another loan and another credit card today. And the debt service ratios are out to lunch. Canadian households, as far as a consumer debt level goes and a ratio to disposable income, we are far worse than the American households were in 2007 prior to this great recession, as they call it. So, you know, if, if somebody can step back and take an objective look first, and just understand, look, you file an insolvency, bank is not shedding a tear over your debt. Trust me, they they lent you money that they didn't have. They're highly leveraged, and because you restructured that debt, they've written it off,
1: and now they're lending to the next guy. So let's and here's an important, yeah, that that's fantastic, and and something to note too is that the insolvency is already priced into the loan when it's lent to the individual, when the person takes out the loan performance, you know, the reason why different interest rates are given to different people is because people are, are more or less risky depending on a myriad of factors. Right. Um, so they're not losing out. They've already calculated it in. And Paul, you would know that more than anybody having spent a lot of time in the banks.
0: Totally. And I think one, one of the other points is we, we become very conditioned to seeing, The massive, massive organizations going through financial restructuring, bankruptcy, whether it's, you know, Trump organizations or Disney or some of these massive, massive organizations. And the principles work the same way around for an individual who's struggling with debt, but they just don't associate those options available to them to... To preserve assets to 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 deal with the debt through those type of uh options
2: look the right in the insolvency act or under the general approach to the act now the insolvency act it really it's it's the book of rules around bankruptcies and proposals, how creditors can get their money from you, what rights they have, what rights you have, and how how this the whole process is basically administered okay under the general approach to the act, it is written in absolute plain English in a book that is full of really legalese, if you will. And it states, I love this. I highlighted it and I tabbed the page and I basically built my, um, really built my business off of, off of carrying this perspective. And it states that the insolvency act also exists to allow debtors relief from the crushing burden of debt, offering them a fresh start in terms of being able to manage their financial affairs. So it's not just there for the creditors; it's there for the debtor as well. And if the banks want to have the ability to lend absorbent amounts of debt at high, you know, high interest, then we have to have a system in place for the consumer to be able to sort of pop the relief valve every once in a while when needed.
0: And they they call it the fresh start approach, right? So you know, the the idea is that they can shed the debt, like you said, and still retain some of the assets that the the exemptions are there for the long-term economic benefit of everyone. So ultimately retaining these assets adds tremendous value going forward. And there is a reason those assets are, are exempt. So, but you know, surely is insolvency is an extreme measure. If you have assets, you could sell or not. I disagree. Or is it, or is it part of a, a long-term financial strategy. I always say debt is the most overlooked piece of any financial plan, and and insolvency potentially is an excellent option for people to look at and retain an asset. Yeah. We're... Want me to go, Dave?
1: Hey, you you go to town, buddy. Oh, I, just... I cut you off earlier, so no, yeah, you deserve it.
2: Good. I should be cut off. I know that. Um, you look at... Uh... Like you're saying, Paul, a lot of the times when we're dealing looking at retirement or paying off mortgages and planning for the future and estate planning and insurance, we really think long term. And when it when it comes to dealing with debt, we don't fold that into our overall long term plan. And we fail to recognize the tools in this really just in this objective. Um, industry of how to deal with debt while retaining assets and moving forward. I think it's crucial. Uh, maybe I'm not exactly answering the question, but I think it's really important to look at dealing with debt as an overall part of your plan and not just I have to deal with my debt today. You know, pop the hatch, pull the retirement fund out, use my house as an ATM and pull cash out to pay off credit cards. Like I, it needs to be, you need to step back and look at it properly with a professional that specializes in dealing with debt and, and somebody who represents solely your best interest.
1: Dave? Absolutely. I, I, I personally feel that people spend so much time planning Every other thing they do in their life, you know, they the, the amount of research that's out there on investments and returns and, you know, how much you can get and up and down markets and passive versus active investing. You know, you look at how much research is out there on on real estate and, and you know, the different types of mortgages and all that type of stuff. And kind of to your point, Paul, you know, businesses, a business. Acted in a strategic manner right their their goal is to um, I guess be as profitable and, and as successful as they can be and and I feel like people should almost take that same mentality and bring it into their personal lives and, and think about, okay, like what can I do to preserve as much of my wealth as possible um, because that's what's going to make me successful in the long term um, and 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 how do I prosper? Right, and so I think people should take a strategic approach to dealing with debt. And I understand that's next to impossible with the emotions. But again, you know, to Ryan's point, that's why you should um, seek professional advice whenever dealing with debt because they can help you take the uh, the strategic approach to the whole process.
2: Yeah, I just want to jump in there again. I agree. Um, w- look, if I if I'm sitting here with a hundred grand with a credit card debt and a couple car payments and mortgage, and my kids are ten years old. I know that in 10 more years, eight more years, they're going to be wanting to go to school, right? I mean, what do I do then? Do I just continue to rack up the debt and 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 pay on all of this debt over the next? I mean, it's a never ending. It's, there's no win there, period. But if I can, let's just say I can keep equity in my home, keep RESPs intact, keep RSPs intact, Restructure my debt and improve my cash flow. Paul, you had a slide a number of years ago. It was an excellent slide, and it talked about whether or not I should cash out an RSP and pay off my debt, or and, and you know obviously pay the taxes that are going to come along with cashing out that RSP, or should I keep my RSP intact, not pay the taxes on it right now that I have to, would have to pay if I withdrew it, restructure my debt and take my improved cash flow. And now roll that into my RSP plan. So really, what I've done is I've pushed my debt backwards a number of years, and I've brought my uh, my financial plan or my investment, my uh, retirement plan forwards uh, towards me a number of years.
0: And I think that is the typical example when you know the the financial experts always say pay yourself first you know savings must be your first priority pay pay yourself pay yourself that's that's all you hear from them but in in the vast majority of cases income doesn't allow you to do that in this case that's exactly what you are doing because you're taking your debt repayment that you were struggling to make in the first place and you're converting that cash flow into Increasing your assets and and your your long term re- retirement accounts.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a proper plan, or just not continuing to struggle, <laughs> which is uh which I think is a is a huge one to mention, right? I mean, people people spend so much time. You know, it's it's basically a full-time job just trying to keep all the payments up. And even if you have assets to be able to sell, but it doesn't solve the whole problem, imagine the emotional strain of liquidating a whole retirement account, paying off a you know half of the debt load only to realize that, whoops, you know you didn't really solve the issue. Your debt's right back up to the top. You have no retirement plan. Imagine where you're at emotionally.
2: I, you're not anywhere good. No, you're not. And I struggle when, when somebody comes to my office and they're 65 years old and you know they cashed out a bunch of investments a couple of years to solve debt, and it didn't solve all of the debt. And now their cash flow is worse, and they've racked the debt back up to where it was. Man, I just the the I just don't turn to them and say, you know what? If you didn't do that, things could be a lot better for you right now. Like I don't I don't want to tell them that because it it could just be heartbreaking to them.
0: And I think, Dave, you touching on on that is the difference people see between businesses doing it and them using pretty much the same tools that are available for for an individual. It's the emotion. In business, people just put it down to, well, it's just business, you know, that's what we had to do to survive. But emotionally it's a very, very different concept for for, for a person going through that. And, you know, we, we constantly, and we did today talk about dollars and cents, doesn't it make, you know, so much sense to, to do this versus this. And, and, you know, you've just got to take a step back sometimes and think of the emotional impact it's having on, on people.
1: It, it that's so true. I always talk about how emotions and behavior are really what either um, make someone not successful with finances or makes them extremely successful with finances, right? I mean, you consider the the whole advice of, you know, somebody that eats out for lunch every single day, well, telling them to, to you know, just pack their lunch at home isn't going to solve the problem if they don't know how to cook. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so it's 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 that type of of dollars and cents advice. You know, again, just pack your lunch at home, buy more groceries. It it, it just doesn't work. And so I, I completely agree with you. That what people should do, and what people will do, are are two very different things. Totally. I, I
0: I read an article the the other day, and it was there was just one piece in it that that stuck in in my mind. And it's you know, with everything that's going on during the the COVID crisis, the The article basically said all the financial experts told me to stop going out and buying $3 coffee every day and I'll, you know, save X number of dollars a year. Well, what's actually happened is I've stopped going out and eating at expensive restaurants because I can't anymore and I've saved thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's huge. I've had a, I've had a few clients that fortunately didn't lose their uh, employment during this process, and because the you know they don't have daycare because daycares are shut down, they're not going out and eating out potentially. Just just having to go out shopping less because at least in Nova Scotia, it was highly recommended that people uh, only go um, at a maximum once a week to grocery stores. Totally. Um, people just aren't. They're making better, smarter choices. Cause they actually have to think about the money they're spending
0: totally and and i think just you know the online grocery shopping we're completely off topic here you buy what you need and that's all and it arrives and that's what people have been forced to do versus going to the store and and buying a whole bunch of things that that weren't on on the list but anyway we they have deliver yeah.
1: they deliver groceries to you oh yeah Oh man, that's uh, have that? that's some high tech. Absolutely not, man. We're <laughs> ten years in the past out here. Oh <laughs> wow,
2: yeah, it's a great thing when you you shop online. We don't get it delivered, but if you shop online before, even before all of this, and you just pull up into the parking lot, they have reserved spots. You call the number you see, I in mean, spot you know six, seven, whatever. They bring it out in a the cart. They put it in your trunk. You drive away, and uh, number one, your time, and uh, number two, exactly that. No impulse whatsoever. It's uh, you save money. You tend to shop. Uh, we have
0: we have this thing called Instacart, and it it's basically a service that the grocery stores offer. You put your list in, and if there isn't, somebody then goes and shops for you from Instacart. And if there isn't something that you've put on your list that's available, you get a text or an email saying, would you like to replace it with this? And you hit yes or no, and it it's remarkable.
1: Yeah, if Instacart wants to sponsor this, we're open to it.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, back to the uh the yes. <laughs> topic. Yes, I
1: wanted to for a sec, Polly. Um You mentioned
2: earlier uh, when businesses need to restructure, there's no emotion. It's just, oh, we had to restructure. That's what we had to do to, to, to get through and make it. But it's different with individuals. It's more emotional. For our listeners, when Paul is saying that, I know he's talking about large corporations. He's not talking about the small businesses in our communities um, because – yeah, we've seen it time and time again.
0: Where, totally. Yeah. That's then- that's a great point, Ryan. I'm talking about sort of the publicly traded mm-hmm. companies, the you know, the Air Canada's, the Walt Disney's, the big high profile names that that makes the major headlines when when they go through it for for small businesses that you know that have been doing it for years and years and it's been business that's passed down through the family for centuries in some cases, it's absolutely devastating on them and the community.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Their heart's been put into it, right? Yeah. All they have staff that they love. Yeah. All that. It's a real tough thing for people to go through.
0: Totally. For sure. Excellent point.
1: Okay. So where were we? We uh, got uh, probably... Seven minutes off topic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> totally. So I, th- I think sort of what, what we've sort of come down to is just ask. Seek advice before you're selling assets. In some cases, it's going to make perfect sense to do it depending on what the asset is, depending on your debt load, and and depending on whether there's a high risk that once that debt is paid off that, that you're going to need to rack up the debt again to, to survive or whether more severe options are are going to be beneficial in the long run, because really the only, the only major financial downside to any type of restructuring is the impact on your credit rating, which potentially doesn't even become a financial burden if it's handled right, but it's the emotional side that that people really struggle to get over.
2: Just let me out of the cage on that one for a second, because I've heard this for 10 years. People come into my office, they're absolutely stressed out. They've been trying to pay down their debt for four, five, six years. The marriage is taking a hit. The kids are feeling the stress of the parents because of the finances, and it's just not good. And that same person will sit down in front of me and go, I need to restructure my debt, but I don't want to ruin my credit rating. And, you know, I have to take a big breath and calm down. I understand this is their first time going through. I completely, I completely get it. But it's the same answer every time that I give to people, right? How good is your credit now? Well, I think it's pretty good. I make all my payments. Could you borrow more money if you needed to? Well, no, my debt service ratio, right? I, I, I can't borrow more money. And even if I could, I don't think I'd want to. The only time you're looking for a good credit rating is when you're looking to obtain debt, period. And if you have a mortgage and you already have a mortgage and you're making payments and you have a car payment, you don't want to lose those items, you can keep that stuff. Just keep making the payments. Deal with the deal with the heavily interest laden heavy heavily interest laden debt.
0: Okay, so let's ask a question to Dave. Would you rather preserve your assets, free up cash flow, or keep a good credit score?
1: <laughs> I, I think uh, <laughs> I have a little bit of a bias uh, in this question, of course, right? But yeah, of course, I want to keep my assets. Who cares about the credit score? It doesn't really matter anyway. Um, uh, absolutely.
0: Yeah. An 800 score, an 800 point credit score isn't going to fund your retirement.
1: No, it's not. No, no, absolutely not. And I mean, like this question goes even even further, right? It, like a, a decent uh, percentage of our client bases are small business owners. They already have a hard enough time getting financing anyway, let alone, you know, what their credit score is. You know, as soon as they say you're a business owner, then I'll, you know, things go out the window and it's like, okay, you got to prove X, Y, and Z, and they have a hard time uh, getting anything that will help at least. Um, so, and I know I'm talking specifically about business owners, but it just doesn't, it just doesn't matter.
2: And your good right. rating is what enabled you to obtain debt in the first place, and come, you know, end up coming to my office, right?
0: Yeah, it, totally. And too, I and, mean, you, you, you go ahead, Paul. Yeah, well, all I was going to say is that surprisingly, um, you know, I was I was thinking back to to the questions we get and the comments we get around sort of liquidating assets to pay debt and how hard it can be. The, the one that I hear the most that, that people find the hardest to even consider liquidating is not their own RSPs, it's the kids' RESPs, and that is, you know, that is the, the choker for a lot of people. It's, it's surprising. They don't care about their own RRSPs nearly as much as they care about what they've managed to save to ensure that their kids' education is covered.
1: You know what? Uh, two years ago, if you would have had me on this topic, I would have flat out said, just liquidate them. Who cares? <laughs> but for those who don't know, I recently had a daughter. Uh, my thoughts have changed. Anyway, that's just my little comment that I have to make. So Ryan, you go first, buddy. No,
2: I mean, I just along the same lines, like, you look at life insurance, right? People will cancel life insurance or insurance products that you know, are part of the estate planning and uh, because they need more cash to service their debt. You know, I had, I had a, a lady in my office who... Her dear husband passed away. There was a mortgage on the house. They they had mortgage life insurance, which as we all know, it's not life insurance. You're paying for the opportunity to be underwritten post-mortem. You're applying for insurance after you die. Um, and it, he wasn't approved post-mortem. And now she had this massive mortgage. She ended up losing the house, right? Um. So the, at a young age, they'll cancel insurance, maybe at 30 years old, to try and start getting ahead of the debt game, right? And then at 40 or whatever, Later on down the road, they start to look towards obtaining insurance, but now it's much more expensive because they're older and maybe they've had a health issue come to come to uh, the surface, right? So it's just along the same lines as the RESPs. Like, you need to keep some of your estate planning stuff together because you're creating a greater problem down the road if you don't.
0: Totally. And that's a great point on the life insurance, the, the amount of people… You know that you see cashing them out, or well, not cashing them, or well, cashing them out if they have any type of cash value, or well, just cancelling a term policy that's, you know, it's costing them sixty, seventy, eighty dollars a month for a million dollars of coverage, and the 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 mentality is, I'll use that fund to to pay down my debt and I'll replace it later. But as you say, Ryan, later sometimes never comes, or later comes when. There's, you know, a, a pre-health condition that they've they've got, or just the fact that they're ten years older. The the cost to replace that asset is is huge. Yeah,
2: that's right. Uh, I'll give you a, a real life example here. Um, my wife and I, when we originally got married, we had we we got term insurance, non non renewable term insurance, and of course, it wasn't the right way to go, um, but we went that way at that time, and um, we. Uh, a few years ago, uh, re-upped our insurance, you know, put put a new package together. And uh, I came through with, you know, shining uh, shining numbers and got a great rate and all was well. My wife as well, very healthy. As you guys might know, she's significantly younger than me and, and all her numbers were great, sugars, blood pressure, all that. And she went to the doctor once and asked a question and had something checked out, which is a, a non-factor in her life. But because she did that, she, she had to go through all kinds of steps to get approved and they actually didn't approve her, but she's a perfectly healthy woman. So yeah, it's not just as easy as saying, okay, I'm ready to get life insurance now. Um, so yeah, you
0: know, keep- totally. And, and, and there are a lot of assets that, you know, you you sell your house to pay off debt. Well, you know, what would that house be worth in five, 10, 15, 30 years time if you'd managed to keep that house?
1: And what is it going to cost to sell that house? Like that's right. that's a that's a, a a very very uh high cost, you know, uh, at least in the local area. Uh, I would say the average cost ends up being anywhere from seven to ten percent mm-hmm. uh, of the value of the house to sell it after you account for realtor fees and you know all the different uh, adjustments the lawyer, and, and all this yeah. type of stuff, right? Yeah, it Moving can be costs. it can be a massive cost, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so some people don't don't realize that and and they look at that as their first option. And there's other people that don't want to sell their house ever, period. Um, but that's a probably a conversation for another day.
0: And in and in some cases, yeah, you know, we we see it both ways. Selling the house to then rent the rent payment is actually significantly higher than the mortgage that they were paying was. So you know, cash flow again is impacted by that. But as you say, Dave, we see it the other way, where people have overextended themselves from a mortgage point of view, which is very very easy to do because you know your realtors getting on your emotion saying oh look at this house you could afford it you know you qualify for a mortgage of this amount imagine your family living in this big beautiful house when really the mortgage payment is too high but again an emotional factor wants them them living in the house and the realtor and the mortgage broker both want them living in that house cuz the commissions are a lot greater
1: and And I know we're getting a uh, slightly off topic again here, but uh this is a a good topic to talk about because if you if you look at it, a lot of people compare a thousand dollars in rent to a thousand dollar mortgage payment. Those things are not equal in any way, shape or form, and one of them you're not responsible for the maintenance um potentially you might not be responsible for the utilities um where when you actually own the house you're you're now responsible for the utilities you're now responsible for uh, the maintenance on the property. When things go wrong, you now potentially have to mow your lawn, which now means you have to buy a lawnmower. You're more likely to do upgrades because you actually own it. I mean, it gets really costly, right? Um, so I, I feel like some people fall into that trap, right? So kind of, I guess kind of along the similar lines, people buy what they perceive as an asset and what most people would consider good debt. Um, but then it's actually more of a liability than it is ever an asset.
2: A lot of very wealthy people rent their homes. I mean, uh, uh- an older friend of mine, he was a millionaire by the time he was 25. And, and he had rented for a number of years. He ended up buying a house and I was renting because I had sold my house with everything in it and including my TV and barbecue. And, uh, he came to me and he said, man, I wish I rented again. And, uh, I thought, yeah, okay, well, you know, it's a nice thing to say. You got a nice house. And, um, so I, I did that for about eight years. I rented by choice and, um, yeah. The, the fixed expense every month, anything goes wrong. I make a phone call and I could put cash elsewhere. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't have any of the surprise expenses and I've recently purchased a house. And you know, for the last few weeks, I've been the dishwasher repairman. I've been the antidepressant. <laughs> now I've got a whole front lawn that has issues. And if you like doing that stuff, it's fine. And I'm not saying it's bad, but Dave, you're touching on a, a, a really important thing. I buy a house. I have property taxes. Of course, I have the utilities. I have all the maintenance. Home insurance went through the roof this year, right? All of a sudden, I'm spending a lot more money than what I thought I was going to be spending in this home. I'm stressed out living in it, and it's taking my time. So yeah, renting is not a bad thing. I'll just finish by saying this. There is this sort of paradigm or mentality over our society that you're not an adult until you have a
0: mortgage. I completely disagree with that.
1: Mm -hmm. Agreed.
0: Totally, totally agree for sure. Um, and I think sort of that pretty much wraps up the the discussion on, on that topic. I'm sure people have tons of questions, you know, to, to summarize, if you're looking at cashing out any type of major investments, RESPs, RSPs, TFSAs, canceling insurance policies, selling the family home, just seek some proper advice from a true expert in that situation. Don't rely on your financial planner to give you that type of advice in that situation.
1: Agreed. Because in my opinion, in most instances, if you're struggling with debt, selling assets to pay off that debt is going to be a bad idea. I'm not saying always, but in most instances. Yep. I agree.
2: And honestly, I'd rather be Cash rich and credit poor any day of the week. I'd rather have a bad credit rating and be able to put 50% down on a house than have a great credit rating and only be able to put 5% down on my TDSR through the roof. So there's a lot more to it.
1: Agreed. Okay, so does anybody have any other comments to add before we get to the question of the day and then subsequently the speed round?
0: Do not, David. Love it.
1: Okay. So uh, the question that we, we're we going to ask today, um, and, and by the way, so this segment um, is, is really for people and listeners to ask us questions. So if you have a question, simply email it to podcast at fourpillars.ca, and then we'll save it for a future episode if we um, have time and we can. Uh, and today we got the question is, should I take advantage of credit card um, balance transfer offers. So, you know, for example, you get these offers from time to time. Hey, transfer your balance from, you know, your other banks to us and we'll give you a uh, a rate of 0.99% for six months. So is that a good idea? Start with Paul.
0: That's uh, a great, great question. Is, this is a speed round, right or not? No, you can oh, take okay, some so time on this one, time Paul. On that. <laughs> Perfect. I don't want to get called out by you guys again. <laughs> Uh, in some cases, if you have a proper plan to go and transfer the balance and get the debt paid off while it's at 0% and not rack up the, the card, um, with more debt, then it can be a great plan. It's going to take an incredible amount of discipline and, and honestly, very rarely works. There's a reason that the banks offer the zero interest credit card introductory rate and that's because most people will usually transfer the balance increase the balance and and actually will end up in a worse situation than before and you know what what you have to remember is that that if you use those cards you know the payments that are being made are going to the interest interest-free portion whilst the rest of the 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 debt is continuing to accrue interest at the the standard rate of 19.99 20 there is actually an excellent section in the book beating the debt game by paul murphy on this very very topic and uh certainly a good read it's an excellent plug (laughs)
1: yes (laughs) thank you (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I, I one thing that I don't think a lot of people realize
1: when they get these offers too is that most of these offers actually have a fee associated with them. Um, so, for example, they may offer you, uh, you know, potentially even a zero percent interest for, say, a six month period, but it might cost you four percent of what you bring over, right? And you pay that up front, so it's not it's not free. Read it does cost printer. money. Absolutely, read the fine pen.
2: Yeah, and don't ever think that a lender just wants to make you know your life easier and give you give you more. They're not giving you anything. I mean, it's it's their way to build their book of business, right? Maybe yeah. maybe they wrote off a bunch of debt this quarter because of a bunch of restructuring from consumers, and so they need to get more debt out there. Let's issue a let's make
1: an offer on a zero percent credit card for six months. Absolutely. But uh, to, to answer the question, um, I, I think taking advantage of a balance transfer offer makes sense if you can pay your debt off in a reasonable amount of time. And again, the way I define a reasonable amount of time is uh, between three and five years or under that.
0: Yeah, or, or right? significantly reduce your debt during the time of the balance transfer, but fully understand what it's going to cost you when when that introductory offer is over
1: correct i I do not think people should oh go ahead
2: ryan oh sorry just yeah make a plan don't just go at it mindlessly
1: totally yeah absolutely i'll tell you when i i think it's a horrendous idea i think it's a horrendous idea if you're struggling with debt already and you think that it's going to somehow um, make things easier for you right yeah maybe temporarily it will but it's really just a a band-aid that's going to postpone the inevitable
0: Well, in that situation, you are better off just dealing with your debt versus delaying it for six months until the interest rates return to normal, and you've got additional credit that you've probably racked up in that time period. You would be better off taking that six months to deal with your debt, pay off the new restructuring plan as soon as possible, and begin reestablishing your credit rating versus waiting the six months that the balance transfer has given you.
1: Absolutely. Anything else to add to that? I think that's a pretty complete answer. Basically, it can make sense if it does make sense. Uh, But if you're struggling in any capacity, don't do it and make sure that you properly plan and actually do the calculations. Don't just look at that, you know, the actual offer, read the fine print, calculate what you're going to pay. Yep. Right. Cool. So... Let's get to the speed round. So this one, Paul, just for your information is a quick answer. Got it. Right. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we'll start with Ryan first. Um, so quick question for you. Can income tax debt be restructured? Yes. It, it can be restructured. It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't have to be that fast.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, th- I think it's a misconception. People, I you know, you sit in your office and you you go through all their debts and lines of credit, credit cards, loans, whatnot. And then you find out they have tax debt and oh, he didn't tell me about the tax debt. I mean, we asked the question, right? But they go, Oh, I didn't know that I could include it Hundred percent. You can income tax debt for sure. It can be restructured. Yeah, that's
1: yeah, absolutely. It's actually a very small list of debts that can't be restructured. Right. Right. And we can, and that's probably a a decent uh, question of the day sometime in the future. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: Paul, Will your credit recover if you restructure your debt? Absolutely, 100%. Credit can be reestablished at any time. What you will struggle to do is get back the the money that you have paid to service unmanageable debt while struggling because you're worried about the impact of your credit rating. Excellent.
1: And I guess I'll ask myself a question because I'm the one that wrote these down. Uh, Will I lose my house if I... um, restructure my debt. right? Um, and, and here's something that a lot of people don't realize is that in, in in most, if not all forms of restructuring, nobody can force you to give up any asset. Um, it's your choice to give up an asset. Now, there might be some certain scenarios where you may not be able to afford to keep an asset, um, but nobody can force you to give it up. So absolutely, you do not lose your house automatically if you're restructuring your debt. In And in most instances, um, you actually get to keep it.
0: And just just to clarify that point, if in order for you not to be forced to lose it and to make the choice to keep it, you would potentially have to buy back any non-exempt equity in it. Now, that's far too technical, uh, but uh, something worth mentioning. Correct.
1: Yes, indeed.
0: Awesome, guys. Great. Is there anything else to add? No, not at all. A lot of fun and appreciate your time, boys.
2: Yep. Likewise. Thanks guys. It's uh, always good to hang out with you guys and talk about this stuff for sure.
0: Look forward to the for next one. For
1: sure. I, uh, yeah, absolutely. I know we got slightly off topic, but I hope uh, the listeners appreciate the fact that, that we've got uh, obviously a, a big passion for, for all of this stuff. So uh, yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. See you guys again
2: next
0: time. Take care, boys. Thank
1: you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Many of the topics that we covered today are covered in a more in-depth detail in the Beating the Deck Game book written by our very own Paul Murphy. You can get yourself a free copy by heading over to www.4pillars.ca. That's the numerical 4pillars.ca. If you have any questions you want covered in a future episode, simply email us at podcast at 4pillars.ca. On behalf of Ryan Brown, Paul Murphy and myself, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.